book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. He's speaking to you tonight about graceful speech. Graceful speech. Um, one thing that I think is very important as Christians is our, how we talk. Um, our words. Uh, there are some folks that I've known in the past who when you hear them talk and you hear the vile language that they use and then you know you find out faithful church members and things and they're supposed to be good Christians, pillars in their church and you're thinking, whoa, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And then you, know, then you have, on the flip side, you have other people who talk, you know, really spiritual. You know, it's like, what well, isn't you know? It's like uh, they're always trying to show how spiritual they are with their words, and uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not against being spiritual, but like some of them, they just really kind of overdo it, and they're constantly like preaching at people, and they're having a bad day, and sometimes you just want to complain a little bit, and somebody feels sorry for you, and then they start quoting all these scriptures and making you feel bad for even feeling bad, and uh, but uh, Bible says we're supposed to have graceful speech. And we're going to read uh, some verses on that in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. It says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. We need to be very wise in how we use our words because the mouth is the most effective tool in helping spread a message. We haven't got much time or opportunity to witness to some people, and therefore God wants us to use that time and that opportunity that we have wisely. And there ought to be both gracefulness in our speech, and we need to make sure that's there. We need to work on it. And we see here in that verse how it says, redeeming the time. There's some folks that we may only get one chance to really be a witness to. Uh, you don't get that many opportunities. With some people you may, but I mean you think about it with your coworkers, you know, um, a lot of times you're not going to get too many opportunities. Uh, but you know, maybe but so you gotta be ready. You're always listening, you're paying you pay attention and you make sure you use your words wisely, that you don't miss opportunities. There's been many times in my life when I've been out and about, maybe out in public or maybe I've been at work and all this, and maybe somebody will say something. I'm not thinking about being spiritual right then. I'm not really thinking about witnessing. And then later, it's like the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, you know what? That was a great opportunity for you to witness to them. You know, this would have been, this would have been a really good chance. And we've got to be careful about that. We've got to think about how we talk. It says, you know, uh, we ought to know how to answer Every man, we ought to be ready to give answers. Um, now, all of you are going to come. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to get asked some questions and you're not going to really know the answer. And we all fail in that area because we all don't know as much about the Bible as we should. Uh, we all, that's, but at the same time, that's why we need to constantly be learning. But, hey, I might need this someday. You know, kids, they always hate memorizing things. Because it's like, you know, what's the point? You know, why do we have to memorize the Gettysburg Address? You know, why do we have to memorize the preamble and all these things? And, you know, the truth is, I, I think a lot of those things are important. You know, we need to know our history. But the Bible, you never know when you're going to need that verse. You never know. There's always opportunities. But graceful speaking, what is it? Uh, what, what would be defined 
is graceful speaking. Well, one of those, one thing I believe, that it's clear. Graceful speech is clear. One thing that uh, you know you might see these days, especially teenagers, uh, they like to mumble. You ever notice that? It's like, oh, what's going on? And they kind of sounds like they're just kind of grunting back and forth at each other. It's like sound like cavemen or something. You're like, what is going on? You know. And I'm not telling us we gotta walk around and speak all eloquent and you know use a English accent so we sound proper. I'm not saying anything like that. But I'm, at the same time, I'm like you know, our speech ought to be easy to understand. We ought to be able to speak clearly. And it is in our society today. You know, I don't know. It's cool or something to talk where people can barely understand you. They like to do all this jive talking and things. And uh, have, you, I mean, have you ever been talking to somebody, maybe a young person, or your kids, like speak up, you know, uh, you know, look me in the eye when you're when you're talking to me. And they don't do that. And it's it's uh, as Christians, we ought to be clear in our speech, especially when we're witnessing to people, especially when we're trying to have an impact on people. Maybe somebody uh, a lot of, is. Using bad language at work, all right. Maybe they're uh, maybe they're blaspheming the name of God. Okay, we we need to be bold. We need to be clear about it. Don't be like, "Oh, should not take the name of God in vain." Oh, hey, if you're going to say it, speak clearly. All right, speak up. Don't be ashamed of what you have to say. Be clear. <clears throat> also, it should be correct. Graceful speech should be correct. We should not need to make up stories. To impress people, uh, some preachers, I mean, when they preach, boy, they can tell some stories, and they're they're neat stories. But you know, you kind of wonder sometimes: are they just making some of these things up just to get people's attention? And it's like, what in the world? And you know, we don't, we shouldn't have to make up stories. You got people. I've known people before. It's like they want to impress you. They want to make you think there's something that they're not. They're always telling you these stories about. How spiritual they are, about how tough they are, and you know it's not true. And and listen, people know that. Usually, they're not going to call you out on it, but they're going to know. And listen, we don't need to make up stories to try to get our message across. We don't need to go to people and say, "Well, you know, if you keep living like that, you know, all right, you know, I knew." Or maybe somebody they're living a sinful life. Maybe somebody uh, is blaspheming the name of God. You don't need to go up to them and say, "Listen." You better watch blaspheming the name of God. I knew a guy one time who blasphemed the name of God, and I warned him. I quoted him the scripture, and he said, "Who cares about the Bible?" And as soon as he said that, a lightning bolt hit him, dead as a doornail. All right, if that happened, go ahead and tell him about it. But if it didn't happen, don't tell him that. And I'm telling you, some people they make up stories, and sometimes I think preachers even make up stories. And you'll hear one preacher tell the story about something that happened in his ministry. I mean, it's a very detailed, it's a very fantastic story. And then later, you hear another preacher telling the same story like it happened to him. He's thinking, well, the story worked for that other guy. Listen, we shouldn't do that. Okay, if you're going to tell a story, we, we need to tell things that are, are true. Okay, we need to quote actual Bible to people. Sometimes people make up scriptures. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know, quote one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie. Okay, uh, well, that's not exactly one of the Ten Commandments. Or you'll, I mean, you'll hear some other things. You know, the Lord helps them who help themselves. Uh, now, that's not in the Bible. 
You know, there's all kinds of different things that people come up with. And uh, we shouldn't do that. We ought to be accurate in what we're talking about. But also graceful speech, it's calm. Now, this is another one that I sometimes need to work on. But you know, we don't need to get all riled up and upset. Understand, when we're talking to the world, when we're witnessing, they're going to have different ideas sometimes. They're going to have different opinions. They are going to disagree with us quite a bit. Completely opposite views. And we need to understand that that's not reason for us to get mad and hostile to them. I mean, think about it. They don't know the Word of God. They don't. Uh, they haven't been taught the truth. They may not even be saved. We can't expect them to be all spiritual if they're not even saved. And it's sad today how people cannot handle other people who disagree with them. And we see a classic example of that that we see is politically. I mean, you go on the news and you watch these, you know, Republicans and Democrats when they get together. And good night. I mean, it it gets ugly. These people they'll have these disagreements and they'll get yelling and hollering at each other and they get all red faced and they're upset because they disagree. And listen, I'm I'm fine. I'm all for being passionate about things. I'm all for that. But you got to understand too, some of the stuff that they're even talking about is just ridiculous. It's not that big of a deal. But boy, they get mad. And I'm here to tell you, the first one that loses his temper is usually the one that's going to lose the argument. And we ought to be, as Christians, we ought to be calm. We ought to be able to be calm about it. The world—they're going to get mad at us sometimes, but we can't—we can't get mad at them. We can't be hateful to them. One of the things that we see happening many times when people get these debates and arguments going is. They get so mad, and that's when they start sometimes just making up things. I mean, you hear these politicians, and you know, and they're trying to prove a point. And you know, like I was out, you know, I was out on the campaign trail, and I talked to this individual, and they'll tell some story, and you know, it didn't happen. I mean, you know, they just totally make made that up, and it's just stuff that just comes right. And they're wanting, they're wanting to get that message across. I mean, and you could tell they just they thought about it right then. Remember Hillary Clinton? She said that she was named for Sir Edmund Hillary, even though Sir Edmund Hillary nobody knew who he was when Hillary was born. He hadn't climbed Mount Everest yet. And uh, you know, she's uh, Hillary Clinton. If you ever listen to a montage of all the things that she wanted to be growing up, if she's speaking in the military, I wanted to be in the military. You know, I planned on being in the military, but you know, the sexist recruiters, you know, didn't want me in there because I was a woman. Uh, she's talking to doctors. You know, I I was going to be a doctor, but this or she's talking. Whoever she's talking to, that's what she was going to be. And you know, it's got her in trouble a few times. And we don't need to do that. It's easy to do though, especially when you get riled up. That's when you start making up things, and that's when you start just saying things that are absolutely ridiculous and making you look like a fool. We don't want to do that. Our speech is supposed to be graceful. It should be confident. Listen, if what we're saying is the truth, we ought to be able. To, we should be confident when we are preaching the word, when we are quoting the Bible. You can be confident in that. You know, some folks, when you talk to them, and they'll give you their ideas, they'll give you their opinions, and you can tell they don't even know if they're right. 
I mean, people. Some folks these days are so passive about things. You can tell they've never even really thought about it. And, and you know, in some areas, I can understand. You know, some things in politics that people get passionate about they're not important. If you don't know that much about it, you're fine. But sometimes you can talk to people about things like heaven and hell. I mean, you can talk to them about the most valuable thing in the world, their soul. And you'll tell them what the Bible says, and then they'll kind of give you their said, well, you know, I've always kind of thought that hell is more symbolic, that it's probably something that we face here on earth. And, you know, I, that's, I just, I don't know if there's really a hell. And they're real, you know, just kind of nonchalant about it. You know, like, what is wrong with you? Hey, we're talking about your soul here. Are you sure you want to go with that? Are you sure that you want that to be your belief and how you live your life with the kind of thinking that there is no eternal punishment for your sin? Are you sure? Listen, if you're going to, I mean, that, that's not something to just be kind of, oh, well, about. That's serious. And. You ought to be confident about your beliefs, especially with the Word of God. And some folks these days, you know, I like to ask people, well, what do you base that on? I understand that's your belief, but what we've all got to have some kind of basis for our beliefs. How do you base that? I believe, I base my beliefs on what the Word of God says. What do you base your beliefs on? And you ask them, and usually they won't come flat out say it, but it's their opinion. It's like, are you sure you want to base where you're going to spend eternity on your opinion? Are you sure? Have you ever been wrong before? Because I know I have. I've been wrong plenty of times in my life. That's why my beliefs are based on what the Word of God says, not just what I think. And we we need to be confident in that. And confidence, too, that helps other people to, to want to follow you. I mean, if I'm, if you know, can you imagine right now? You know, we're in the middle of a presidential election. Can you imagine if you know one of the candidates, let's say Mitt Romney, all right, he's not the president right now, but maybe they're in the debate, and he gets asked how he would handle maybe a nuclear threat from Iran, and he gets up there, and wow, that's a good one, man. I don't know what I'd do in that situation. I'd have to, I'd have to consult my cabinet members, and I'd have to really think about it and explore our options. But can you imagine if he? Listen, you'll never see a candidate. I mean, those presidential candidates, those guys are trained. No matter what they say, even if it's completely stupid, they are confident in what they say. I mean, they say it with boldness and with clarity. You know why? Because nobody's going to want to pick a leader who's not confident in what he believes, who's unsure of himself. And nobody. And we're wanting people to follow us as we follow Christ. And we're wanting to lead people to Christ. And if we're not confident in what we say, they're not going to do it. If we're scared of what we believe, it's like, boy, you know... It's like you ought to come and visit our church sometime. I don't know if our pastor's telling us the truth, though. I don't know if what he's saying is right, but you ought to come. 
You think they're going to want to follow that? You think they're want to you're going to want to come? You ought to be able to say, "Hey, you ought to come and visit our church. Our pastor he preaches from the Word of God. He'll he'll take the Bible when he preaches, and he shows you what God says about it. He just doesn't get up there and give you his opinions of what he thinks. He goes to the Bible. Be confident." About it, I know I'm in the right place. I thank God that I found this church. If listen, if you're not gonna, if you if you're gonna be all I don't know about it, and I'm all scared about it, it's not gonna work. And that also we need to be convincing. We shouldn't need to try to be proving that we're telling the truth all the time. Okay, we ought to have a reputation for telling the truth. We ought to have a reputation for being somebody that's not gonna lie. That's not going to steer you wrong. Listen, if you're giving everybody bad advice when it comes to everything else, maybe recommending a mechanic or recommending a restaurant or something, then they're probably going to think you're not a good one to recommend a church. There's some people you can count on them. I mean, they, uh, you know, you don't you don't want their opinion. They're wrong in everything. <laughs> I mean, you ever known somebody like that? It just seems like no matter what they do, they fail. And uh, listen, we need to be convincing. We need to make sure that what we tell people is right. What we tell people is the truth. And we will be convincing when we do all these other things. If we're mumbling, we're not going to be real convincing. If we are inaccurate in what we say all the time, we're not going to be convincing. If, we are, if we're not calm, if we're always all panicky, we're not going to be convincing. And when we do all these things we may actually be able to convince people which is what we need to do. Which is, uh, which is ultimately the goal. You may remember the story of Lot whenever he tried to, uh, whenever he was going to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. God was about ready to destroy it. And it says he went and he spake to his son-in-laws who married his daughters and said, Up, oh, get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked to his sons-in-law. I mean, now I don't under I don't know if we can fully understand everything that went on there. But Lot, here he is going and telling his family, God's gonna destroy this place. And and he was telling the truth. And he was dead serious. But they thought he was just making fun. Why I wonder I wonder why that was. I don't know for sure. I've I've often thought that maybe it seemed weird somebody like Lot saying God gave him a message. Because we see that Lot, he didn't have a real good testimony. He Lot obviously didn't talk about God that much and then just all of a sudden out of the blue, Lot's talking about God and telling him we need to get out of this place. If Lot would have been living a godly life, if Lot would have been talking about God on a regular basis, then it might have made sense when he came by and did that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine... As as a father or as a mother or somebody in your family, or can you imagine? I mean, imagine me as a pastor if I came in here and say, "Hey, folks, we've got to get out of here. There's a bomb in this place, and there really is a bomb." But nobody leaves because I have such a reputation for being a liar and for being a goofball and an exaggerator that I can't even get anybody to get out of the place. What a shame that is! And there are some folks. I mean, you know, whenever they come to you, like, did, did you hear about this? You just not. I don't even want to listen because they don't have a good reputation because they're not they're not convincing. They've told too many stories. 
And that's where Lot was. But it says, so our, let your uh, speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Matthew 5.13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Season with salt. Salt, what is the point of salt? Why do people put salt on their food? What seasoning makes it see what is seasoning? It makes it taste better. It's good. It adds to the food. It adds it adds some flavor. It makes it better. And our words ought to be graceful and they ought to make things better. Our words should edify. First Thessalonians five eleven, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Paul's telling them, he said, you need to edify one another with your words, and he points out you all are doing this. He's commending them for that, but he's telling you need to keep doing it. Our words ought to be building up people, not tearing down. We're going to have people that come to this church. Brother Harris this morning, he mentioned that a church is many times referred to as a hospital for the spiritually sick. And we're going to have people that come through here that are going through difficult times whose lives are messed up, who've made some big mistakes, and they know it. And many times that's, many times that's why they're here. They're looking for something. And the last thing they need is us reminding them how pathetic they are and criticizing them. We need to, our words should be seasoned with salt. Listen, they're going to get plenty of criticism from the world. They're going to get plenty of criticism from their lost co-workers or maybe some of their neighbors or maybe even some of their family who's turned against them. They're going to get plenty of that from the people that are around them when they come to the house of God, when they're around Christian people, it ought to be different. People that you work with, they ought to know that hey, if I'm going through a hard time, and you might not even be their favorite person, you might not even be the person that they talk to, but they ought to know when they are down when things are, when they hit rock bottom, they ought to know who they can go talk to. They ought to know that hey, this person there, they're they're going to make me feel better with their words. They encourage them, and uh, we ought to do that. Also, our words should exhort. In other words, exhorting, it's like encouraging, but what exhorting really is is calling others to action. All right, so I guess an example of an exhorter, you could say, is kind of like a coach. Okay? Now, coaches, uh, they're not always the most popular people in the world because sometimes they're kind of mean. All right, for example, I mean, you've all seen the seen the football coaches and stuff, you know, out there on the sidelines screaming in their guy's face, screaming at him. I mean, you'll see them in practice yelling at the guys and calling them names, and I mean, making them run laps and doing all these things. I mean, coaches sometimes can be really, really mean. But the truth is, what they're doing is they're exhorting, they're calling their guys to actions. They're, you know, they're telling them, you, know, you guys need to get off your lazy bum, otherwise you're not going to ever get better at this. We're going to lose all the games, and they're calling them to action. And it's not; it kind of looks ugly sometimes. But the truth is that exhorting is good. We all need that call to action. And one of the things that you will always see is whenever it comes to, you know, whenever the big game comes, and Maybe the team 
you know, they win the Super Bowl or they win whatever, the basketball game, whatever it is, one thing you can always count on with the players is you'll hear them thanking their coach. They thank the coach. I thank my coach for pushing me. I thank my coach for motivating me to try hard. You know what he's saying? He's basically saying, I want to thank my coach for screaming in my face. I want to thank my coach for calling me names. And I understand that sports, and that's not exactly the way we're going to do it here. But it's the, it's the same principle. We're calling others to action. Listen, there's a, if, if we just do nothing, we're, we're going to lose. We're going to get in trouble. We're in a battle today against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're in a real battle. And, we've, and uh, we need to encourage people who are in that battle and are maybe losing in that battle. But at the same time, we've got to understand that if they're going to get any real victory, we've got to call them to action. And we're not going to call them lazy bums. That's not the method that you use in church. It works for sports. But we need to do that same kind of thing. We need to motivate. Say, hey, you need, you need to get in the house of God. You need to be faithful to church. You need to hear the preaching. Hey, you need to get in the Word of God. You need to start reading that Bible. Hey, have you prayed about this? Have you asked God to help you? Well, you need to pray. And you need, I mean, you need to ask God to help you. Hey, I'll help you. I'll do it with you. Call people to action. We do that. With our words, 2 Timothy chapter 4 2 says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. We've got to be long suffering and exhorting people. Some folks are going to take a lot of motivation. It's like that, you know, I've got five kids, and four of them now are in school. And sometimes they need some exhorting. Sometimes they need some motivation because. It gets hard. They want to quit. They want to give up. I think every kid, at some point in their life, they want to drop out of school. Every one of them. And they'd like to quit. And every Christian, every person that comes into this church, at some point, they're going to want to quit. They're going to want to give up. They're going to want to be done with it. And we've got to exhort them. We've got to call them to action. We need to encourage. You ought to... We ought to know what to say. We ought to do our best to try to be sensitive to the needs of other people and to be ready and be good at knowing what to say. I mean, think about you know, when you see people that are going through a difficult time, think, okay, what would, what would I want them to say to me during this time? What would I want somebody to do? If, it, if that was me in the hospital, what would I want? If that was me, well, what I, you know, maybe maybe you would like a phone call. Maybe you're maybe you're the kind of person you would like a visit. Maybe maybe you're the kind of person who want to be left alone. I don't know. But what you ought to do is, is think about that and say, all right, I'm going to do that for that person. You're going think about when you've gone through difficult times. Think about when you faced some of those things. You know, some folks. Well, when I was in the hospital, nobody visited me, nobody called me, nobody thought anything about me. And so I'm going to do the same thing to other people. No, 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 wait. If that was you, then you need to say, hey, I know how I felt when that happened. I'm not going to let that happen to somebody else. And encourage. Your sense of their needs, you know what to say. And listen, have you ever come across somebody who always knows the worst thing to say at the worst possible time? Have you ever noticed? I've known people like that. And those same people, I believe, have the ability to know the right thing to say at the right possible time. It's just they've taken that gift that God has given them and they've used it for the devil. 
And uh, that's sad. And that many times, many times we do that. We ought to encourage. We ought to know what to say. Also, our words should educate. We ought to be able to teach people. We ought to be able to tell them why. And listen, that's important. Listen, I hope, I hope you get things from my preaching. I hope you learn things. I hope that there are, you know, some of the things that I teach are things that you will want to follow. But at the same time, there's going to come a point where somebody else is going to come along and they're going to say, "Hey, why do you do this?" Listen, please don't say, "Well, my pastor does," or uh, you know, preacher yells about it in church. You know, we ought to be able to teach them why. We ought to be able to take the Bible and show them, hey, this is what the Bible says about it. The Bible says in Psalms 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. A simple, that's somebody who's, uh, maybe they're uneducated in a certain area. They've never been taught something. And the law of God can make them wise. Okay, we're not simple does not mean a low IQ. Wise does not mean a high IQ. I mean, there are some things. There are some areas we are all simple in. And with and the Bible, it makes us wise under many different things. The Bible talks about making us the scriptures that make us wise unto salvation. And we ought to be able, we ought to know how to do that. We ought to be able. With our words, that's why we want to memorize scriptures to be able to say, "Hey, this is why," and quote the Bible, because you know people have a hard time countering that. When you go and you give them Word of God, when you give them scriptures, if you give them the Word of Tommy McMurtry, then you're going to lose the battle because I can promise you there's going to be another preacher out there saying something completely different. You can find a preacher that'll preach whatever they want, but when you give them the Word of God, that's Really, the only thing people have to use against the Word of God is the Word of themselves. And even they know that that does not hold a candle to the Word of God. And so it's important, before we go all crazy on a subject, that we ought to study the Word of God, see what it says, and then use that so we can educate other people. Our words should enlighten. We ought to be able to help others understand. Not just quote them the Scripture, but help them understand it. That's that's huge. You know, that's probably one of my biggest challenges. I can show people all day long what the scripture says about certain things, but I hope I'm able to make help them to understand it. Maybe to be able to give some examples, maybe to show them in my own life so they they understand it, so they can see why. It's not enough that just I understand it. I want to be able to help other people understand it too. Enlighten them. I mean, have you ever been there before? Maybe something. Maybe in school, you've all been. You remember back when you were in school and you just didn't get some things, and you remember when it finally clicked. It was a good. It was a good feeling. You know, kids they they hate fractions. You know, and they just they they don't get it. And it's like when they finally understand the concept that you're talking about parts of a whole, and they actually learn to start picturing it. In their mind, and all of a sudden it clicks, and you, you, I, I love it. You know, I, I taught for six years in a school, and they, you, there's those times when you just see that light bulb pop up above the kid's head, and you can just see it in their face. They got it. They finally got it. And boy, it's a wonderful feeling as a teacher, and it's a wonderful feeling as a student when you finally get it. And then all of a sudden, this 
problem in math, this, this subject that was a nightmare for them that they hated. Oh, this is easy. They got it. They understand it. And that's, boy, that's a great thing when you see that uh, as a pastor and as a Christian when you're telling somebody about the Word of God and you kind of see that light bulb click. I thought I saw that yesterday with Chloe. We've talked to her before about salvation. She's asked questions before and you can just kind of see that she wasn't really getting it. She wasn't ready. But I remember last night when I was talking to her about it, you just, I don't know, you can kind of see that, hey, I think she's got it. I think it's, I think it's clicking. And it's a great feeling. You see that enlightenment. Our words also, they should excite. We ought to be able to make others want to participate. I wonder, I mean, there are there, if any of us, sometimes the way we are as Christians scares people away from wanting to be Christians. Brother Harris this morning, he quoted Gandhi who said, the one thing stopped me from being a Christian are other Christians. And I know why. Gandhi must have met some church members that I've known in the past. I mean, good night. These folks, the way they talk about church, the way they talk about the things of God, it's like, good night. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with that. We ought to be able to excite people. I mean, can you imagine if maybe, once again, with recommendations, somebody's telling you about a restaurant. Yeah, you ought to go. I ate at the family table today. Wasn't very good. Uh, I can tell you the truth. I didn't really like the waitress. I didn't. I didn't really like the food. Well, do you think that person's going to want to go eat there afterwards? But it was like, hey, I went to the family table. I had their chicken George Jet. Oh my goodness, that was good, man. Not only was it that food good, I mean they got the food there fast. The prices weren't bad. I I really enjoyed it. And also, all of a sudden you start getting hungry. Awesome chicken. Boy, chicken sounds really good right now. You know why? Because I just got you excited about it. And boy, we, the way we talk about our church sometimes, it's no wonder nobody wants to go with us there. We ought to be able to excite them with our words and be able to, we ought to make others want to participate. We ought to make others want, want to get to know more about God. We, our, our words ought to make other people want to get in the Bible. That's what I hope I can do with the book of Revelation. There's so many exciting things in the book of Revelation. And listen, I'll be the first one to admit, I don't understand everything about Revelation. But I'm hoping, it's my desire, that I can at least show people enough stuff in Revelation that will get them excited about that book of the Bible. And it will cause them to want to study themselves and to read more. It motivate other people to get the Word of God because if I can do that, it's going to help. Anybody, the more you get the Word of God, the more it's going to help you. And our words ought to excite people. We ought to be, we ought to be motivating people. That's another way our words can be seasoned with salt. But graceful speaking, it's not something that we just do with our lips. What we say is backed up by really three things. One, our appearance. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Says in like manner also that it's talking about to women right now, but I believe this applies to men that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, uh, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. It says if you are professing godliness, if you are saying that you're godly, 
Not only should you back it up with your appearance, but also with your works. We ought to, we ought to, we ought to back that up with our appearance. We ought to, uh, you know, look like a Christian. I mean, what would you all think if you all showed up tonight? And maybe you're a visitor. You're, you go to the church for the first time, and I'm up here and I'm wearing pants that are, you know, sagged down below my behind, and I'm I'm wearing all these chains and gold, and you know, I got a hat with you know a big hat on with the bill unfolded, and I'm packing. I mean, what are you, what are you going to be thinking? Hey, is this guy a gangster? Or is he a preacher? <laughs> and you're going to ask, what is going on here? And I'm walking down the street like that. I have to be real careful not to lose my pants. And I'm going, I'm knocking on people's doors, trying to invite them to church, telling the pastor. Oh, we might be able to get some people in here, but it'd be an interesting group. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'm I'm claiming to be a pastor. I'm claiming to be a man of God. I ought to back it up with how I dress. I um, as a Christian, I mean, one thing that we ought to do to back that up is one just be dressed. In our society today, people are okay with not wearing very much in public. I'm sorry, you know, listen, I understand lost people doing that. Heathen nations, heathen countries, they have always gone around naked or nearly naked. And our nation today, we've got a lot, we're turning more and more heathen all the time. And people being lost and being given into their sins and fulfilling the lust of the flesh, they're gonna to want to they're gonna to want to take their clothes off. But we are claiming to be Christians. We are claiming to be godly people. It ought to be backed up by our appearance. I think it's very important. Also, our our words ought to be backed up by our attitude. Genesis chapter thirty one and verse two, Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban. And behold, it was not towards him as before. Uh, that, that's a, it's a long story, but Laban was Jacob's father-in-law. And Jacob could just tell by his father-in-law's face that there was something wrong. You, know, you can tell when somebody doesn't like you very much. You can tell when somebody's mad at you. And our attitude, it ought to back up what we're saying. If I come up to you and I'm just like, you know, I love you in the Lord. <laughs> You gonna believe it? Absolutely not. I'm saying, hey, I care about you. I'd help you out if you need. You know, hey, you need any help? I'd love to come over and help right now. You gonna believe it? Absolutely not. I listen. I can't stand getting help from people who act like they're being martyred because they helped you out. I mean, it's just you know. I like people that are willing and that want to do that. And as Christians, our attitude ought to back up what we're saying. It sure is great being a Christian. The Lord really been blessing my life. Sorry, not going to work. God sure is good. Not convincing. Our attitude ought to back up our words. And then finally, and this is more important than any of them, our actions. Our actions ought to back up our speech. 
Hey, we, we can say, I'll be trying. Hey, I'll be there for you. Hey, I want to be a blessing. I want to help. And, and boy, I'm convincing, you know, hey, maybe you're uh, doing a project on your house. You know, you're tearing off. Hey, I'll be there tomorrow. But I'll, I'll be up there bright and early. I'll help you out. And it's going to be hot. That's okay. I'm there with you. I'll, I'll help you through the whole thing. And then the next morning, can't find me. I'm not there. Boy, I tell you, I see, you see that all the time. You know, it's one thing. Uh, when I, you know, I go out quite a bit and knocking on doors, inviting people to church and you talk to people all the time. Oh man, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, we'll probably be at your church Sunday. And boy, they sound convincing. But I've learned that if you're out knocking doors and you have ten people tell you that they will be there tomorrow, only plan on about one. Because that's just the way it is. And that that's human nature. But as Christians... We ought to be able to back up what we say with our actions. If we say we're going to do something, we ought to do it. We ought to make it happen. If we say that we care about somebody, we ought to back it up with our actions. If we say that we're a Christian, if we say that we're godly, we ought to back it up with our actions. If we say we believe in God, we shouldn't be blaspheming His name. If we say that we that we love the Word of God and we want to follow the Bible, we shouldn't be living like heathens. We ought to back up what we're saying with our actions. Because the truth is, everything we say can be undone by what we do. Just listen, a test, your testimony, your reputation, it takes years to build it. You know me, I'm new in this community. Right now, I'm in the stage where I'm building, trying to build a reputation. I'm trying to build a godly testimony. And you know what? I could be here 10 years and do everything right, have a great testimony, great reputation. And just one, one sin can ruin it. One time, maybe I just I lose my temper and I just haul off and dealt somebody right in the mouth. My testimony's history. Just one time, I could be completely honest in the finances, do everything right, and one hundred percent by the book and according to the law. And one time, do something illegal with the money, my reputation's ruined. I can be a great husband. We've been married for 11 years and be a great husband, completely faithful, and one time be unfaithful to my wife. And I have destroyed my reputation. You know why? Because I didn't back up my words with my actions. And that is so important. And we need to be aware of that. God wants our speech to be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that we may know how we ought to answer every man. Listen, no matter how we live, no matter what we do, this Bible is always true. Listen, Adolf Hitler would have got up and read the Bible. What he was saying would have still been true. However, we're talking about trying to be a witness and trying to be able to convince people. When In court, they have witnesses who come and they testify. Maybe they have a character witness and they come and they testify on behalf of an individual and the whole point of a witness is to be convincing, to convince the jury of their innocence, to convince or to convince the judge, whatever it is, that is their job. And we are supposed to be convincing people that they need to turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And if we're going to do that, our speech needs to be with grace, seasoned with salt. And if you do that, you'll be able to answer every man, and we can do what we need to do. To have an impact. So that, if we all stand together, our heads bowed and eyes closed.